the, I don't know what it is, like excitation of neurons or whatever that activity is moves to a certain point and like then you start seeing colors and shapes and have feelings. Yeah. Oh, like- green. Sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. No, it's not worth no. it. Don't do it. Not worth no. it. No, it's terrible. But but for me, like the fragility of the day after, like the migraine hits and then it's like, give up on life, go in a dark room and just sleep. It doesn't matter what time it is, just give up. And then the next day there's this like fragile beauty to everything. Like I appreciate everything yeah. so much. There's no pain and the colors are bright and the birds are singing and the coffee's warm. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad your migraine is getting better, Jennifer. Thank you. David, do you have the blurb? It's the 21st. This is the 21st uh, live stream. It's not the 21st of the month. It's the 22nd of the month, but 21st live stream number 21, solid ground. We got it there. We we got to that all important landmark, 21. Yeah. Yep. Significant somehow. Okay, so here's the blurb. Solid Ground is a peer support community for anyone concerned about the imposition of critical social justice, CSJ, aka woke, and or COVID mandates in their workplace, university, children's school, or community. We offer weekly online peer support groups in which members share ideas, thoughts, and support for how to navigate the impact of these ideologies. And answer the question, where do we go from here? You can join one of our groups for only $5 per month, and to find out how to join our community, please visit solidgroundsupport.com. And please note, Solid Ground does not provide psychotherapy or legal advice, and nothing we do should be construed as such. Thank you very much. Thank you, David. And so, yes, we're here with uh, David, Jennifer, Deborah, and myself. And it's lovely to see you all today. And today, we, um, I, I sent you guys, I don't know if y'all had already seen it, but I sent over um, a recent um, James Lindsay podcast, New Discourses podcast, where I thought he did such a good job of breaking down like the, I guess the taxonomy of a social movement or a, whatever you want to call this, a cultural revolution. And I just, I thought it was, it was very well stated and it answered some questions that we get a lot when we talk in our groups. I don't know about you guys actually, but in in the groups where for me, we spend a lot of time talking about how we're impacted by different things and specific scenarios that come up and how we process those and, and giving each other comfort and advice. But we also, the question comes up often, like, what can we do and what should we be doing in response? And people who are on the fence about how, or on the fence about speaking up or how to do so and worried about jeopardizing their jobs, all kinds of questions. And what he did, James Lindsay, in this recent podcast was he really broke down like the steps of this movement and what role each person is playing. And did you guys have a chance to check that out? Yes, it was really good. I listened to it last night. I loved it. It's just a quick, it's just a quick 30 minutes, but it's Mm -hmm. packed with a lot of really useful information, I think. Yeah. Yeah, And it was called like how to fight a tyrannical movement or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How to fight a tyrannical movement. Yes. And so he, 
he broke down the players like the archetype. I've just said like about 16 times. <laughs> like back out of my vocabulary. He he broke down the archetypes of of people and how we are going to correspond to this given movement into five categories, which he called ringleaders. So these are the orchestrators of things, the people pushing the ideology, the strivers, which he called the the moral zealots and the uh, basically the red guard of this, or maybe the the rainbow guard this time, Um, the normies, people who are not either not very aware of it or not taking things very seriously and kind of have their heads in the sand. The doubters who are the people who don't agree with the movement, but lack the courage to do anything about it. And then the rebels who are the people who are willing to stand up and talk about it. Did you guys have any thoughts about those categories or what were your, what did you think about that? One thing on the strivers, because at least my understanding of it was they aren't necessarily so ideological. It's more like they'll use the movement to get other aims. Like he gave the example of talking to someone who was had their kid at probably a private school where there was a lot of woke things going on. And it was basically like the guy would do anything just so his kid can get into a good college. So if it's like, I need to go along with this thing, I will. But it, it could be, you know, he would probably turn on a dime if <laughs> there was another way for him to you know, meet his social needs or something. So Mm-hmm. like yeah, pragmatists I think, he, I think he sort of likened them to the I think he likened them to the sort of ESG types the the people who the cabal of like elitist people who are self-interested but don't necessarily have an ideological position they're just interested in exploiting things for their own means exploiting powerful uh exploiting power for their own means and yeah like, yeah I see them as sort of soldiers for hire that will fight for whichever side will pay them more and if they think that they can gain prestige by following along with critical social justice, they'll do it. If that vanished within a month, they would look for the next thing that is holding cultural and economic power, and they would go towards that to advance themselves. It's all about their own um, economic and social advancement. So sort of like a social mercenary, really. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. It seems like they're the, I don't know if he said that, but it seems like in this case, I mean, they're the ones that are operationalizing stuff the most, right? Like they're the ones that are like, I'm the CEO of a business or I'm, I'll make this legislation or something. Whereas I don't know if the ringleaders might stir up some stuff. They're some speaker that people get inspired by, but they, I don't know if they can get that much done in the society um, to make stuff change so that that brings a question up for me and that's who's the who are are the strivers is the strivers this broad category of people from like the ceo of a university to the student who's uh fist pumping and and chanting about stuff or, or is one of those the ringleader? Is the CEO of the university a ringleader or is he just another striver? The way James Lindsay was breaking it down, he was saying that the ringleaders are actually making the agenda. Okay. And the strivers are following along with the agenda for their own, um, their own advancement and self-interest. So um, 
Yeah, I mean, that always, I think in a lot of conversations, we do kind of go back to, you know, the, the whole question of who's doing this? Like, yeah. why is this being done to us? Like, what the heck? And so I think James Lindsay said less about the ringleaders, but he was saying they're the ones who make the agenda and they point out who the enemy is, who's problematic. Um, I guess you could say um, some of the ringleaders would be the, uh, the World Economic Forum, certainly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think people like that who have a lot of cultural power and, and the money. And that's really interesting. You know, I, I, I think it's easy to kind of get in the weeds about that because there's a, where's it coming from? And then you get people mad because they're calling you a conspiracy theorist and whatnot, but somebody is funding this. When UNESCO and the WHO implement comprehensive sex ed guidelines that then all of the schools take up in unison and we're all teaching the same thing, well, there's some centralization happening. And I don't think that it makes you some kind of conspiracy theorist to observe that and ask questions and say, who's funding this? Whose agenda is this? And if we can isolate who that is, then we have, we have a source for discussion and for um, rhetorical uh, accuracy, really. Mm -hmm. So that would be a ringleader. Yeah, and I'm wondering if there aren't two types of ringleaders, like there could be ones that are actually ideologically quite down with the cause, like sincerely, whatever we might think of it. And then I'm wondering if there might be others who know they can use the cause. They're still not the strivers because the strivers are kind of doing it for their mm -hmm. own like social gain, but like there might be people who are like, huh, um, I want this such and such happening in the world. Um, and this is gonna be convenient if we get a bunch of people thinking this thing. Um, I don't actually care about it. And it's not even for my own like status. It's just more like I have a vision of the world and I'm imagining this is me kind of making things up. Like if you had some <laughs> evil, like world economic, some person who's like, we just want to have depopulation. There's too many people on the planet or whatever. So let's push these things that make people not even wanting to have children anymore or whatever. And they might not even really believe in certain woke uh, points of view or whatever, right? But they might go, but this might get people to do stuff. Now that's a very conspiracy thinking kind of thing, but I don't know. I don't know if there's a difference between really true believers who are generating this stuff and people that are like, this is instrumental, um, but it's not necessarily just for my own status. It's just like, I have other plans. <laughs> no, that's a really interesting breakdown. I think that's, and does, does the motivation matter? Probably not in terms of, I don't know. I'm wondering if in terms of countering it, I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure. What do you think, David? Well, I was just wondering if, if, yeah, would you sort of separate them out? Because you'd say they're kind of like single issue ringleaders. They're ringleaders who, who don't, aren't embracing all aspects of the ideology, but just have one issue that's particularly speaking to, the, to them. They'll go along with things. I thought you were going to say, Deborah, that something akin to the reactionaries, which you talked about a bit later, didn't you? But actually, I think that's a different type of person. Well, this, is what, this is what I found quite interesting as well, was James Lindsay pointed out that the rebels who are you know, uh, the people that speak out against this stuff can be split off into two groups again. And right. 
it made it i mean it made me think of some conversations we've had recently guys um about those that maybe seem to be rebels within with the same cause in mind but actually are reactionaries who are people who are just simply looking again at this as a an opportunity to fulfill their own self-interest and so the rebels have to be doubly mindful that they're not only um, pushing back against the ideological position of the ringleaders and trying to hopefully get some strivers along the way um, to, to, to sort of realise it's not good for them, but also realise that there are reactionaries within their own within their own sort of communities who are people who are maybe not even quite consciously aware at the time, but probably people who are self-interested at their core. And it just... I guess it just means all of this makes me think that that people really just need to have a really tight handle on on who they are and and their ability to or their kind of unconscious sometimes uh, want to control things or to to make the, make the world the way that they would like it. And I think that's I guess it's a lesson for all of us in some ways. Maybe a rebel could all maybe a rebel isn't a really distinct category. It's someone who's constantly doing the work of not becoming a reactionary in some ways. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, he, when he's talking about the categories, he's talking about the rebels that I don't know if it was the reactionary type, but that have the run the risk of becoming a new um ringleader, right? A ringleader yeah. of a new thing, just like it's like a somewhat a cult of personality in their own or whatever and yeah. so it seems like motivation is or purity of motivation is important in a few different places when we question the purity of motivation in terms of strivers right so that's the people who are the boots on the ground the people who are pushing the really ideological ideological types like the i'm thinking of the professors at antioch or the students who are are demanding more more racial equity or whatever it might be are and that goes that sort of in my mind brings up that that thing that we hear so much about where we talk about the holocaust and how people acted in germany and we want to say we would have been the ones to to stand up to that but would you really have been would you mm. really have been the one to stand up to that we see it as wrong now but if you lived in that time and place and that in that culture, would you have been? Who would you have been? Yeah. And maybe you fall according to type. Maybe you would just fall according to type in any time period. Or maybe there's something that spurs people to do different. Is it, are we types or are mm. we pressured by our environment? What makes a person fall into one of these categories? I do think it's filtered through personality. And through, and through, I think, values too. Like if you're willing to sort of sell your soul, if you even believe you have a soul, to get your kid into an Ivy League college, even if your kid's going to imbibe values that are potentially harmful, I think you, I think you just do what's most convenient and what suits you. And I, I've seen a lot of people like that, sort of like in, in the corporate world where they just kind of shrug this off and they're like, well, yeah, I don't really agree with this, but I don't care. You know, I'll put my pronouns in my emails because I am trying to 
advance in the company. I'm up for a promotion. So I'm going to play along with this. Yeah. And I just, I just, I do think that's a certain personality type. <laughs> so where's the line between a normie and a striver then? Oh, I think the normies are people who, um, who wouldn't necessarily actively violate their, their own conscience. They're just kind of um, trying to live their daily life and support themselves, support their kids, deal with life's daily problems. And maybe they feel stressed enough by that, that they feel like I can't absorb one more thing. So there's sort of low information because they're not really investigating, um, you know, the attempt at the cultural revolution that's going on. So they're just like, oh God, like I, you know, I don't do politics. I don't want to hear all that. And, you know, I mean, I don't blame them because people are trying to take care of themselves and their families. And I don't think it's really that easy to have a family and raise a family successful and do what you need to do. And maybe your kid has an illness or a disability and you're dealing with that. I don't, I don't think it's easy. So um, I think normies though, are where we should place a lot of our attention because normies and, and doubters, because those are people that, um, you know, if given more information could, could speak up in some way and could oppose this. Yeah, I, th I think of the normies as, as a lot of the friends that I, well, not a lot of, a few particularly close friends who I have spoken to about some of these things that just sort of say to me, David, why, why are you that bothered? Like, why does this affect you? Is this particularly big in psychology? I'm like, can you not see what's going on? And, and after a conversation with them, I sort of think to myself, there is a part of it that kind of goes, yeah, gee, well, I mean... If I was a normie, I guess my life would be a bit easier. I guess I would have just not not seen these things. Maybe my life could be fun functioning just fine where I'm paying attention to my house, my partner, my, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and I think James Lindsay talks about this as being a category of people, the normies who can be easily mystified into thinking a certain way. So maybe that is, as you say, Jen, like a place where we could we should focus a lot of attention trying to persuade i think you know back to that is it a personality thing because i do suspect most of us are either you know somewhat or slightly or more contrarian or canary in the coal mine like i i, I think there may be just a sensitivity factor to something being off and so I, I tend to be like, if there's just something weird in any circumstance, if there's just something like, I'll, I'll just be like, something's, I'm like princess in the pea, right? Like something's funny and I don't even, it does uh, better or worse. It's just sort of some people have their, you know, their dials or, or are for a different, you know, piece of the spectrum of what you can be aware of, right? And like some of us are just off where something's off. And not only that, there's some curiosity too, like, wait a minute, like this isn't just random instances of odd things. Like there's, they seem to all be connected and now I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, right. To like figure it out. And I think that probably just takes a certain makeup to, to get worried enough about it and see it, get worried enough about it and, and investigate. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting to think about the the temperamental qualities that could could put you in a certain category and i think the category where that 
seems to be, um, I don't know, perhaps most pivotal is the division between the doubter and the rebel and what plays out in a person's life to make them make the decision to take a risk like like a, a, a massive social risk such as speaking openly about a disagreement that you have that other people with with the way that other people are doing things and he had uh, james lindsay had some advice for each category i took a couple notes um, for the, the strivers. So he says, we have to convince them of the fact that they are not needed on the other side of the revolution and that they are just, there's sort of useful, uh, tools that if, if they continue down the road that they're on, they, they work themselves out of usefulness because that, that quality of activism is only necessary until the ends have been achieved and then it becomes a liability. Mm. And for the normies to wake them up, which he referred to as red pilling, yeah. which is a cute statement. For the doubters, convince them that they need to either become a supporter, so put their backing behind the people who are speaking up the rebels or become a rebel themselves and, and stop sitting stop sitting in purgatory, you know, put your money where your mouth is or pony up and, and open your mouth. <clears throat> and then for the rebels to stay engaged and don't allow themselves to get demoralized and fatigued. And find, and find support because you'll need it because it's, it's hard to be putting yourself out there and opposing something that most people are going along with because you're absorbing a lot of social risk and financial risk. And it, it can take an emotional toll. So having the support and having people around you that have your um, have good intentions and good intentions for you, I think keeps you invigorated. Mm. I feel I feel that way in the groups. You know, it's it's lovely to be with people who are independent thinkers and just really question things and really have um, I think ethical standards. For themselves and for the world i just that to me kind of it's like a bit of a um, infusion of uh, good energy definitely i was thinking i was thinking james Lindsay was going quite hard on the doubters wasn't he in the in the podcast episode he was saying for all the people that come up to me after i've done a talk or in private or message me and say i really agree with you but i I, I just can't say anything about it. He's like, he's like, well, what good is that for me? What good is that? You're not changing anything. You're not making the world a less risky place, a safer place for people like me. So yeah, do something about it. It was quite, and it was quite a rallying kind of, I think, I think he was trying to rally people together uh, and, and get the doubters to think about that as well as, as well as give some solace to the rebels, like you said there, Jim. Um, yeah that we should carry on and um, not be fatigued. Maybe there's a sense in which James Lindsay does feel like there's a, a fatigue happening. I'd be interested to know if that is coming from somewhere because it feels like there's been a couple of years now in which it's been full force. So maybe he's even thinking of his own fatigue sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, he's talked about that. 
basically made himself the foremost expert on CRT in the United States by reading for, there's a period of time where he was reading like 16 hours a day and doing a deep dive into stuff that, I mean, I, I can't stand reading <laughs> I don't know how he does it. It's just like, And yeah. the stuff he was reading is like yeah. really dry, yeah. miserable. Reading, yeah, and reading Foucault and all that stuff that to me just makes my brain feel like it's, starting to slide towards psychosis. Um, and he, you know, he did that to understand CRT, but the roots of that type of thinking as well. And that's really, um, I think exhausting, but I also have to say, and I do want doubters to, of course I want doubters to speak up. Um, and I also feel like people do have to make a realistic assessment of what risks and losses they can absorb. If I was a single mother and I had no financial support, my first focus in life would be supporting my kid and keeping a roof over their head. And I probably wouldn't want to risk my job unless I knew I was extremely well-connected and had a few potential safe landing places. So I also don't feel condemnation towards people who find themselves in a situation where they they can't um, risk things. But I do also think sometimes people are in a situation where they could risk things, but they might have to set things up first and make mm -hmm. some plans before they can take risks. Yeah. That's a big, that might be a big difference between a rebel and a doubter is there's a, there's a gulf that needs to be take, you know, taken into consideration of, am I in a place where I can do this? And some people are fortunate enough to be in a place independent owning their own business being a speaker being someone who's you know done become quite famous potentially out of this movement or who's been given a platform for that reason and then you've got people yeah who are looking after themselves and need to make sure they time it right um and say the right thing and come to a, yeah. a group in which they can practice doing that on a yeah. monday tuesday wednesday yeah. You know, I think it's easy to be frustrated with a group as a whole, but when you look at the individual level, you have to remember that people are making, people are trying to make the best choice that they can for themselves. And so you have to be compassionate to that, but it is easy to get frustrated on the whole. And I really, when he said that, that part about the, the frustration that he has with the people who come up and, and voice their agreement, but also admit that they they don't feel like they can speak up themselves it reminded me so much of the experience of being in graduate school and being in a course where I'm the only one saying anything to a professor who's trying to ram this stuff down our throats and getting emails after class thanking me people coming up to me in the hallway and thanking me for saying this and there was this one day and I just I was just talking with Christine Seifen and, and Yako on the CTA podcast the other day. So I just told this story, but I'll just say it really quick. But uh, there was this day when the teacher asked the class for feedback. We were talking, I gave my feedback. She tried to correct me. So I corrected her on what I was actually saying. And she started to cry about her emotional labor. And this this moment was, it was so awkward. And then a person shushed me and told me that, that they'd heard enough of my white voice. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's such bullshit. <laughs> right. 
Uh, You've got a very white voice, Leslie. Yeah. yeah, it was enough white voices for one day. And so this actually happened and I'm sitting there and this, this, this dynamic is occurring where, I mean, I'm, I, and I was speaking really calmly and respectfully to the teacher. I wasn't like, you know, trying to put her in a corner, but she, she used this opportunity to pretty much emotionally blackmail me into feeling bad. And then the person to my left said, um, we've heard enough white voices. And I looked around the room and I saw so many people that I knew agreed with me and none of them said anything. And they just let me sit there in that tension of being cried at over here and told to shut up over here. And I'm sitting there with it. And I'm like, you jerks, like just say something. And nobody said anything. And I was the, the frustration I felt with those people. I mean, that's, yeah. It wasn't about saving me. It was about you guys agree with me, you know? How did you know that they agreed with you? Did you get something? Could you see it in their faces that they agreed with you? But they. It was the emails and the comments outside of class had been. This was like near the end of the semester where it was, you know, I knew where people fell. There were at least five people in that room that I knew felt like I did, but had never said anything. And, you know, just to let somebody else crash and burn. Yeah. Really Uh, dick move. Yeah. And I don't really. I have a hard time understanding that because even if, even if you're, you know, if you're in a self, if you have to be in self-protective mode for some reason, okay, I can kind of understand that, but this is relatively low stakes. It's the classroom. What, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you voice your opinion? And the more people who do it, the more the, the safety expands. So they're not going to throw everybody out of the program. Maybe the professor is now going to have a grudge against you. And so she'll give you a B instead of an A. What do you freaking do? Um, I don't know. I also, I, I have a hard time understanding how people can resist the impulse to say something. Because when, when I know something's bullshit, when it smells of bullshit to me, I, I can't. I can't just sit there. Like it drives me crazy. And there's also a piece of me that takes pleasure in saying it because mm-hmm. especially like if I know that the person who's, who's talking the shit and has, had, has like more control, if they think that nobody's dare going to say it, it's just, I don't know how people resist. It's really fun to just be like, you know, it's just, it's just fun to be the one who kind of throws sand in the gears. What are they going to do to you? Fucking take you out and shoot you? Well, yeah, it's true. It's like, what are you risking at that point? And yeah. that is a question that like, what is, what is the risk really? It's just the feeling of being outside the herd, outside the bubble. And that's painful enough for some people that it's not about losing your job and it's not about whatever. It's just the, the experience of social alienation is so scary that's pretty big for people isn't it because like people have come up to me and said like um i said why didn't you speak out when you felt that way to people who maybe disagreed with certain things were said at this whiteness day presentation and they said well i'm glad i didn't and i said why and they said well i saw what happened to you and i was like well i'm still here i'm like still on the course like like you know i'm uh, didn't have a chunk of meat taken out of me like but it was just it was such a powerful thing for them to have seen someone 
you know, ostracized for a, a few weeks or like, you know, lose a few, you know, lose a few loose connections, should we say, with, with, with people who weren't really their friends and, you know, get a few cold looks from people. But I'm not saying it was fun. I didn't enjoy it. But that and even just watching what happened to me as a witness rather than actually being me was enough for them. I was like, you, you should have tried being me for a bit, but <laughs> you couldn't even hack watching me do it. So, yeah. You know, all this makes me, I've been, this last few bunch of minutes, I've just been like, my brain is fixated on self care. Like what is the, the self care for the, the rebel or what is the, because there are these tolls. Like I was just even hearing again today, the story of like, you know, Jay Bhattacharya, the doctor, right. Who came out with the great Barrington declaration or one of the people. And he lost 35 pounds because it was so distressing all the flack he got. Right. And wow. so I, you know, not that everybody loses 35 pounds. And I also watch, I watch him and I watch other people who are very active on Twitter. You watch, um, I mean, may have his own reasons, Jordan Peterson, but you can see the toll sometimes people start getting very raw. And then sometimes the way that they're interacting on Facebook, they start to become, um, how would I say it? Like there's something that it's almost counteractive or they can start having, I'm not saying any of them, but like you start having your own tyrannical way you're behaving because of the woundedness of mm -hmm. being attacked. And so it's making me wonder like, and I mean, we alluded to this before, like what if we could come like, what would be tools for people to either talk to themselves or mitigate those feelings? Or if they're having those feelings, how to work with them so that they don't have that devastating you know it's not as devastating to speak mm -hmm. out and I, I think I mentioned that to you Leslie I don't know if it was someone that talked to Benjamin Boyce I forget I don't know if they said they put like a bubble around themselves and they just imagine I'm just making it up now right but if, if there's some way people could psychologically mm. um, prep themselves or have and I don't have the answers to it but I'd like to see more of that because I do you know and you probably know in your own case Leslie like whatever Toll and, and Jen and David it, it did take on you still were going to do it and it was still hard and is still hard, but somehow your, your inner resources are such that you kind of can. But I, I'd like to see the rebels not become um, misshapen in some sense by having done it. And then they're out in the world being reactive in their own ways. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know what pre if the preventives there are, if any, but I'm just really, my brain is preoccupied with this for the last few minutes. I <laughs> think that the the most important thing is community. That's my, that, that's what it comes down to for me, because it's that same, it's the, the pain of social alienation is so real and we can act like it's not, and we can act like we're above that or whatever, but we're not because we're social creatures. And if we weren't, then we wouldn't be so bothered by the social forces that we're annoyed by in the first place. And so that, that pain of social alienation, the way to counter that is to find a new group of people to make your reference make that yeah. new community your reference point and that it it helped me tremendously to find cta so i that was my first step was finding a group of people that you know agreed and i i'm kind of keeping an eye on the chat a little bit thank you benjamin i was but I'm not anymore. And let's see, the price for speaking up now is relatively small, says Oceana 23. And Jay says, Deborah, this could be a whole stream in itself, such an important topic. So yeah, I agree that it yeah. is it is so important to, 
to figure out what emboldens people. One of the things that I, um, I, I've noticed, and I've, I've, we've talked about this before, is like all the comments on this YouTube channel that are, that, you know, looking at the Antioch videos and stuff, people will say, you're so brave, you're so brave. And that's the thing that people come back to. And I, I don't feel like it takes tremendous bravery. It just takes some to, to stand up. And it takes whatever combination of character traits, like Jennifer being, um, being allergic to bullshit and enjoying calling it out when you see it or, um, you know, whatever it is. So you've got your character traits, you've got your community, but there's some aspect of bravery involved in that. But what I see is that people are aspiring to that. People are praising that thing. And so it seems like there's a, there's an impulse in people to try to raise that up. And if we can demonstrate that there's that you're not punished for bravery, that you actually come out of it better on the other end, you come out of it cleaner of, of conscience, more aligned with yourself, more aligned with people that actually embody the values that you have and, and want to see in the world. I think that it's something that could be contagious. I think there is a contagion to that. And that's how I, I believe that we can get people to stop fence sitting. Yeah, I agree with you about the importance of community. And I just feel like the people I've met since I spoke out have really restored my faith in humanity. I feel even though there's bad things happening in a larger context, I feel more hopeful about humanity than I, than I have because I've just met people that are so... Um, I just think really admirable characters. And I like what you said, Deborah, about, um, you know, the rebels not becoming misshapen because I do think this stuff can, you know, twist you like a bonsai tree or something because it's so, it's so powerful. And it's so, um, you know, if you're trying to really be educated about it and understand it as a phenomenon, you have to do quite a bit of reading. So you're absorbing the energy of it and, um, and it's really, it's kind of like taking in a lot of poison and I, I'm still working on how do I, you know, not become a kind of negative, um, paranoid person, you know, and you're always taking in things that are bad and you're looking at things and saying, oh my gosh, this is a potential threat. If this continues, this could go this way, that way, this is bad. And then to be like, oh, okay. And now I can set this aside and enjoy myself and enjoy my family. It's. I feel like I have to make a very conscious effort to do that. And I have to sort of say, okay, I'm setting this, I'm setting this down now. And now I'm in the moment. And, um, but it's, it, it, I think it's challenging. Yeah, that's where it gets, that has the, the, the possibility of the be, being not exactly the mirror, but insofar as say people who, you know, use a critical theory lens, you're constantly looking for the things that are wrong, you should be doing the revolution every day, if you're not doing it every day, every second, then you're a racist, whatever, right, so it's like, right. like watch to not let that same sort of absolutist um, thinking take us over. <laughs> exactly, because then you're yeah. just, yeah, you're just an absolutist pain in the ass of a different <laughs> flavor, which, I mean, who, who wants that around them and who wants to be that? I don't want that. And, you know, so I 
I have a real um, love for Jordan Peterson. I think he's a really, really clear um, thinker and I admire him and enjoy him. And I also notice that there's an emotional toll that all of his work has taken on him. I think you can see it in his face and you know he had a very prolonged illness um, and his emotions seem very close to the surface and very raw to me. And now granted, I'm just seeing him when he's talking about these issues. So he may set it aside and just really be chilled out when he's not actively engaging with this, I don't know. But I, I see that I, you know, I see someone who's kind of, you know, essentially taken on the weight of the world. And what do you think makes it, makes the toll particularly hard on him? I, because I, I have some thoughts about that, but what do you think? Well, one thing I think is that he has a proclivity towards depression. He's talked about that a lot and he's absorbing and engaging with a lot of very depressing um, issues on a regular basis. Um, and uh, the other thing is, I think he, he thinks about things very deeply. He doesn't um, just stay on the shallow end of the pool to protect himself from the murky depths. And there's a risk that comes along with that. And he's engaging in this um, a high percentage of his time. That's what I see. What do you, what do you see? Well, those things are really good points. And I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him. And I, I, he's been a huge inspiration to me and I've learned a lot from him, but I would say that he also tends to sort of isolate himself in a way that makes him a singular target. And there's a bit of a, I wouldn't put him in that necessarily like that ringleader reactionary category, but he does have a bit of cult of personality around himself. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I think that that leaves a person a little bit more vulnerable. So I don't sense a strong community around him. He has himself at the top of a pyramid with a lot of people that are supporting and cheering mm -hmm. him on. But I think that that community aspect that's so insulating seems to be absent. He does have his family, which is good, but he just seems. Have... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, Deborah. Go we ahead. had because I was also saying just the notoriety itself is probably just daunting. But but he did have he had and he did an episode on it, and I found this admirable. He had um, Jonathan Peugeot and then Greg, or who was someone who was more like politically liberal, like a Democrat. Both came in and gave him feedback because remember the whole incident when he commented on the Sports Illustrated model um, cover. She was a little bit heavier than one might, you know. And he made some comment about whether that's beauty or, and he got a lot of flack. So he asked them to come live and tape it right and give him feedback about that. So it, at least there was that one incident of some people giving him some input. I don't know if they're doing this on a regular basis. Um, I could see if he didn't have it at all, right? And he just kind of holing up with Tammy somewhere, right? Or something like that wouldn't be. I saw that I, one too. I, and I yeah. thought that was, that was interesting that he chose to do that. And I, I don't really, I don't know to what that could be attributed, that tendency to be more insular and, you know, just he's, it, maybe it's something in his personality, maybe, who knows? But I think that that was very late in the game too. Yeah. I mean, that was like after 
was it was just this year maybe or last late last year so he'd been through a lot by that point starting to seek feedback and we've all seen him go through some raw stuff he should be on twitter not on twitter i mean i do i think i mean i see i'm up in the middle of the night and i'm like he's tweeting in the middle of the night some you know what i mean and i'm like please just put down your phone and get some rest you know he does seem to sort of work himself to the bone doesn't he? he kind of when he goes on a tour he really goes on a tour doesn't he? he goes on a tour of like hundreds of cities all around europe and it's just like and he'll sort of boast about it and you'll think oh, yeah really that amount of shows he's doing like five six shows a week sort of thing probably even more than that um big shows where he goes up and he doesn't prepare he spends two hours kind of riffing on a topic and going yeah i don't know he he, he seems to have a thirst for 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 for, for work and and uh, a, a sort of mental exploration which is quite it's quite something isn't it but i think it probably does isolate him it doesn't he's not he doesn't share that with a lot of people and maybe his 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 work doesn't mean that his his intellectual curiosity is one that he has privately rather than something he shares and does so in a shared environment yeah i'm also thinking like so then there's, if we look at different styles right so james Lindsay, like he does a lot of stuff just using humor or going your mother or right like he <laughs> whether we want we could ever emulate that or we'd want to emulate that a lot of it is he just does clown and I know you are, but what am I like, you know, stupid, whatever. And that seems to make some, like, he doesn't, you know, he may get under pressure sometimes you can kind of sense it, but it seems like he creates a little more room around himself by just being like iron law of woke projection, you idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah. it makes you just think about community as, as, as like an anchor point. You need an anchor point if you're a rebel, don't you? To not feel like you are not only ostracizing yourself from the actual reality, but the, the reality of what's going on in your own head. You have to have a community around you of people to go, oh, no, no, you know, just like we all have, like, you know, a community of people that can maybe just let you know gently, no, no, that's not quite right. Or, or maybe you might have got that wrong and I've seen it a certain way. We can all get, you know, potentially those that are, of us that have kind of gone through a certain something or had our, you know, jobs threatened. I think of people like Kathleen Stock, you know, um she's a, she you know we, when you were talking about Jordan Pearson and, and thinking about the things that have contributed to him being the way he was I was thinking of Kathleen Stock as well as being someone who felt that she was just booted out of her university and and driven out with hate um and I wonder how much she'll always have to carry that around with her in a way like the threat of uh, being undermined as an individual having a livelihood taken away from her on such a deep level i wonder if that's something she's always going to have to carry with her on some level a kind of slight paranoia that something like that might happen again i don't know so yeah community is so important yeah and um i saw who is it here's gin bottle says he likes the sound of his own ego too i would add and i think that's a that's an area where i'm i hesitate to really criticize because i you know but i i see i see the point i'm the point is well made but again it's it's when somebody's life is on display this way it feels easy to make those kind of observations and yet can you not get caught up in that sense of driving purpose to a point where you can see yourself in a grandiose way i mean i i think that that would be natural if you are in that position and doing those things. And so to watch that happen, uh, it, it seems 
like it is what's going on to some extent with with him and and that's something that community can help mm -hmm. to buffer because people having people close and around you can help keep you interconnected instead of standing above it also seems like it's a download like if there's that much energy running through someone by people's projections on them people being aware of them and it's a lot i usually think if you don't have those other relationships or interconnections to spread that out into. I always feel like that goes into the weakest links in your psyche. Like mm -hmm. say if people do a lot of yoga and they have Kundalini energy and then they're like having a psychotic episode. And so I would think like the more you can ground through your relationships with, with the, the feedback from them, be normal. They treat you like you're no, like a normal person. A lot of that, you know, would be less likely to disturb somebody in a certain sense. Yeah, I think that's a good point. What do you think, Jennifer? Yeah, I do. Jordan Peterson even made a comment about that. He said, your sanity is better outsourced, which I thought was really interesting. Uh. Um, but I think there's, I, I think there's truth to that. Like sometimes you don't know if you're getting kind of, if you're starting to go adrift until someone who knows you well says to you, like, knock it off and <laughs> kind, of, kind of gets you back. Um, grounded. I, you know, I think even though this stuff that's going on is really serious, I also think at the same time, it's good to not, it's like, you have to take it seriously. And at the same time, you have to not take it too seriously. And it's sort of a holding, a holding pairs of opposites. It's like a paradox. And because otherwise you just start to drown in it. And I think having a sense of humor about it is really funny. Cause if you were, if you were watching this as an uninvolved party, say from another planet, you would find it quite amusing, really, you know, like just that thing that you said earlier, Leslie, about like, we've heard enough white voices. I mean, it's just like, it's preposterous. Yeah. It's like, it's really funny. And I don't know, I think laughing at how foolish it is and how foolish we can all be. It's just, I don't know, kind of, um, breaks down for me that like breaks down my attachment to to this because I mean I can get I can really get obsessive and sort of get brain lock mm -hmm. um and when I just remember like this is stupid and people have always been um people have always done foolish things and this is part of the human condition and at least at least laugh at it yeah push back against it but also have a laugh yeah, I you, I'd recommend point. like people listening to uh, the Monty Python's Life of Brian. Uh, there's some really, <laughs> there's some really good like it's not only good because it's funny, but it's also great because there's some examples of what those guys were talking about like, back then, which which echoes so so well like several decades into what we're experiencing now. And it's like it's quite a nice thing to be to realize that actually there's been this there has been a certain maybe not in this form, but there's always kind of there's always people that say, um, try and stone you for even just saying a word, even though you're trying to explore what the word means. You know, you think about um, <laughs> it's something, what were they discussing? They were discussing uh, the word Jehovah or something like that. And then there was someone who was just trying desperately to stone one of them. I can't remember the exact scene now, but like even, even cancel even, culture. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly like cancel culture. You know, it reminds you of like a, like a professor who tries to talk about, I think the, the kind of like a, 
the cultural relevance of uh, and, and the significance and power of using the n-word and and then even using the n-word was enough to get him fired and it reminds you of when in in life of brian they're sort of they're turning up for a ritual stoning <laughs> it's funny it's funnier than it sounds actually now i'm saying out loud but um like even even just mentioning certain words would mean the crowd turned on themselves and start throwing stones at each other and there's a scene i think um that's that there's they're bringing a life of brian to the stage in england and it was recently announced that uh i think i saw it on gb news that the actors do not want to use um, or, or say certain words from the script and i think it was the words that uh, pertain to this scene that was um i think it was it was it was one of the kind of group of of uh, defectors from the kind of uh was it the roman empire and they were sat, sat in a sort of like a like a coliseum with their friends and one of the individuals that chap kind of says i've decided i want to be a woman yeah it was stan he says i want to stan. be called loretta I want to be called that's it. And, 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 but you haven't got a womb. And but said, I want okay, to have babies. Let <laughs> me say something about wanting to be liberated. And then um and then John Cleese's character goes, I think he wants to be liberated from reality. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna go, hmm, that's uh that's a relevant point. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Deborah, you cut out there. Your your audio cut out. Try it again. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah. No, was it? Is it that that scene might not make it into the live, the stage play? Is yeah, the, the, that? the actors have said that they don't wish to say it because they think it's too offensive, and so, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that is that that movie is so fantastic. Um, it's it 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 like has all of the different components. All the archetypes are present. Yeah. The mob mentality of the people who are just caught up in the frenzy is there and the reactionary canceling is there and the tribalism the, yeah. the tribalism between the, the different reactionary groups the different yeah, the people's front of judea the judean people's front and they're all warring with each other and like, the popular front who's yeah, just one guy probably strivers yeah. right like if you, you, know, you probably map what we were talking yeah, about right they would be strivers exactly uh, but there were strivers among the rebels yeah now yeah. it's a breakdown of everything <laughs> well, there was one more. There was one more that I was thinking about, which was that they were sat around saying, "Yeah, okay, but apart from like the sewage system, the roads, housing, what, blah blah blah, what have the Romans ever done for us?" And it, again, it's that sort of like decolonializing the kind of like mentality of like we can't look back on history with anything but complete disdain for all of the heresy and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. So now everybody has to go watch the life of Brian this weekend. Everyone this week, before next Brian. week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Before it gets cancelled. Yeah. No, I think that the point is really well made. That humor is important, and it really is. We can't take anything too seriously, least of all ourselves. But yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts? before we wrap up so Jennifer can go to her group. I have no final thoughts. My head is empty. <laughs> I think possibly thinking about how to, aside from just letting the strivers know the game might be over, potentially at least directing them to the game you want them to be playing next for your own 
<laughs> your own purposes. Um, I don't know what that would be. I don't know if you say like, I think this thing is the bottom's going to fall out of it soon, but you know, maybe you want to go over, I don't know where the go over here would be, but like possibly giving them something else to do. <laughs> so you need like a, a striver herdsman? Yeah, maybe. Hmm. They'd have to be, they probably have to be prestigious enough though. Like that's the thing. I don't know who moves them or how they make their calculation exactly. And again, they, they probably half think they believe it. But I, I don't know. I don't know what some of them are probably blatantly calculating. <laughs> um, it may be just having alternate pathways or knowing there are alternate pathways to meet their aims. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was slightly struck by that as I was listening to James Lindsay's podcast was him talking about sort of explaining to strivers or convincing them that the route they're going down is not good for them. And I was thinking, okay, but yeah, how do we do that? That is, if we knew that, everything would fall out, wouldn't it? That you'd, you'd eventually kind of just say, look, you guys that are interested in power and merit and interested in heading down... Look, the structure isn't working for you. Here's a structure that does. And then let's go back to this structure here. Um, yeah, I, I was left thinking like that's that's the really real turning point in some ways. Well, it does seem like there's a distinction to be made. And I guess this goes back into it a little bit, but there's a distinction to be made within that category of striver between those who are really pragmatic and seeking power and merit and those who are swept up in the mob frenzy. Because either way, they're the ones pushing it. Mm -hmm. so what would you do with the mob frenzy people so doubt is that remind, remind me the, the, the differential between those then mob frenzy people people who are strivers but are just so in it like like a load of imagine like sharks in a <laughs> chewing on the on on a carcass is that is that is that people who strivers but they don't even they're so blindly ambitious that they're just kind of eating and eating and eating till the whole thing falls apart. Yeah, I don't know if they're if they're doing it out of well, it's probably both. I mean, some it is some search for meaning, and some of it is a search for vengeance. Like it's kind of like I was saying, you, you give a higher meaningful thing for the ones that want meaning to go to. I don't know what to do with the people who just want to, you know, so vengeance. You know, like right, go, go at that. I don't really want to give them something else. I want them to stop. Mm -hmm. Don't know. Hmm. Well, maybe it's to be continued if we want to talk about it again. <laughs> Solve it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for a great chat. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you guys later. Thanks for everybody who was in the chat today and go watch some Monty Python. <laughs> Bye.